if we want to be at the top of our game, it's, it's no different than brushing our teeth, so to speak. We get up, mm -hmm. we don't think about it, but we have to, we have to continuously get better. And that's what we did. We kept raising the bar. Great experiences build great leaders. Great leaders build great teams. This is Building Great Sales Teams. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. And you know today's show is going to be a winner because I've got Doug here on, on the podcast with Doug. You got two Dougs today. It's double the fun. All right, guys, we got we got Doug C. Brown. He's the founder and CEO of CEO Sales Strategies, the 1% Academy. And and let me know if I'm pronouncing this right. Bibitino? Uh, it's Bibitno. Bibitno. Yeah. And he's also the host of his own podcast, CEO Sales Strategy Podcast, which is exactly what we talk about here on the podcast. Doug specializes in revenue growth and sales profit optimization. He's launched, worked in, and or built over 35 companies, and he teaches others how to be in the 1% of sales earners in revenue and growth. Doug, welcome to the show, brother. Well, thanks, Doug. I'm, I'm glad to have my our, our name being repeated back and forth, so this is awesome. So many times, right? Isn't, isn't your name like supposed to be your favorite thing to hear out loud? So we're going to have plenty of that today. I think we're going to get off the episode and just be on this high, right? <laughs> Absolutely. All right, brother, you've, you've wrote uh, two best-selling books. Can you walk us through those books and, and what inspired you to write them? Yeah, well, the first one uh, I wrote was called Win-Win Selling, uh, Unlocking the Power of Profitability by Resolving Objections. And I wrote that book uh, really to help people because I, I kept going to, to events and people kept saying the number one thing I'm having challenges with is communicating with people when they throw an objection up. So I'm mm -hmm. like, all right, I'll write a, a book about the philosophy, the psychology, where objections come from, how they, you know, present themselves and, you know, what frames are people using. Mm -hmm. And the book sat there for two years. And uh, my now wife uh, said to me, you know, can I read the book? And I said, sure, she did. She started asking me questions like, Question number one, question number two. And then she said to me, well, why'd you write the book? I said, to help people. And she said, well, how are they going to get helped unless you release the book? <laughs> <laughs> and what I realized is she was using the formulas and things I was teaching in the book. She used it against you. <laughs> yeah, so I released the book and, uh, you know, it, it did well. We didn't put a lot of marketing into it. It went international bestseller, I think, in four countries and uh, still out there today. Um, and then I, I wrote a, a, a second book uh, called The Nonstop 1% Earner. Uh, you know, how do you be one? And then so we go through what is a 1% earner? How do they think? What do they do? What's different? Because it's not, you know, a lot of times people think the people are making in the top one or 2% of income, they're doing things radically different than people who are in the, you know, the 10% bracket, if you will. Right, right. And it's really not it's small incremental nuances. Uh, that, that get them there. No, I love it. And I, I think, you know, I would, I would agree a hundred percent. And typically what I, what I've seen in my circles is it's the consistency of those nuances that got them there. Absolutely. Those things you don't think matter, like what time they wake up in the morning or no. following through with customers, you know? Right. Right. And a lot of the fundamentals and the basics as you're talking about and that consistency and uh, the adjustment of the mind that needs to go through that process to be able to, you know, receive and, and handle certain people and situations that they run into as they go higher and higher up the, the ladder. Somebody once said the higher the levels, the bigger the devils. Yeah. And, yeah. I was like, oh, that's kind of a corny statement, but you know, it, it, when we started going up in, in, in scale, sometimes that's true. So. Yeah. Uh, I've <laughs> definitely been through that a few times. So worked in or built 35 different companies. How does one even have the opportunity to do that? Is that specific to your, uh, was it a consulting position at the time or 
you know, what exactly were you doing that gave you that opportunity to be involved in 35 different companies? Well, insanity pretty much was, okay. was the, the real answer. Okay. So, you know, I was one of those kids who didn't know what, the, what he, I knew what I wanted, but I didn't know what, how to call it that when mm -hmm. I was growing up. Right? And my dad started all us family members working very early. I started at the age of three working. Oh, wow. And, and um, you know, I swept floors for 25 cents a, a week. I loved the job because I had a you know, quarter. And back then you could buy a whole handful of candy for a penny. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I'd go, you know, get pre-diabetes before. <laughs> um, but, you know, and then, then around five or six, we were actually thrust out in front of clients and customers. He owned an electric machinery repair company. And we would be writing orders figuring out numbers and my grandmother was helping it was a family business that's and, awesome yeah it was great and then i i knew from that that i wanted to have something of leverage because what i remember looking at doug was all right we'd pay three dollars for a part we'd sell it for six dollars and i remember i was getting paid around 75 cents an hour at that point mm -hmm. and i was like wait a minute i just made three dollars in seven minutes or whatever this took in my little brain at that time was starting to compute the, the form of leverage. So right. that's, that's kind of how it all started. So I was just trying side hustle businesses all the way through. And, you know, I would go, uh, I had like a, a paper delivery route that I had set up that all the other paper boys in the neighborhood didn't want to do their route. So I would get myself and my friends and I would go and we would deliver their papers. I'd get paid. I'd pay them a percentage. I'd keep a percentage. You know, I, I guess I was a sales manager back then. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so it was small businesses. And then at the age of 13, I got my first bank loan. My brother, I persuaded him to co-sign when my brother was 18. And, you know, we started a music business then. And so it just kind of progressed through time. Not all the businesses were successful, like all people's businesses, but some right. were, some broke even. And, you know, a couple did really well and, and I've worked in some that have, you know, sold off eventually for $2 billion. So that one worked out okay too. So it's wow. just kind of the way of the entrepreneur, I think. Absolutely. Let's talk about, let's talk a little bit about that business. Was, were you in there from the founding point or did you just come in and execute some, some things for them and then get them? Yeah. Ready no, I came in, I came in after I was actually about the hundredth person in the company. Okay. And, and then what happened was we started investing and reinvesting back into the company. Mm -hmm. And um, I just took on on the sales side and just ran with that. And we grew from, uh, I think it was 60, 68 million. Yeah, no, 60, 62 million to 360 million in two years. Wow. And that was a pretty fast growth. Yeah, I had a whole, I had a hair back then. And then I kind of lost <laughs> <it>. <laughs> Yeah, I got, I got some of that going on too. So just wear a hat and fixes it, you know? <laughs> that or cut it off one or the other. <laughs> right. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely shaved it down recently just so I didn't have to deal with it anymore. Trying to get it all perfect, but no, it is what it is, right? And we adapt. Okay, so what do you feel like, in, in that business to, to add hundreds of millions of dollars to the bottom or to the top line revenue. What do you feel like was a pivot point for that business that maybe our listeners can learn from? Yeah. On an individual level or on a, on a business building level. Both. I always love both in that case. Okay. So in the business building level, there, there primarily was a direct sales force. Mm -hmm. So what we figured out is we could build a, uh, an indirect sales force in an internal in, in an internal indirect sales, an internal agent force as well. So what we did okay. was, for example, uh, we went out and we we built an agency for for, for most part, right? So yeah, we would go and we find people who had independent relationships and that became another sales channel. Mm -hmm. um, then uh, I I will take credit for pioneering this one because I did. Then what I found was certain agents don't want to do all the work themselves, even though they were getting paid the majority of uh, the commissions. Right. Right? Right. So then I as an, uh, took the internal team and I started doing an internal agency. So I would, instead of us paying say 20, 25% out to the agency, mm -hmm. we would pay 5% out. We right. would use the internal staff and have them go recruit their own agents. Yeah. And so what ended up happening, it was, a, it was extremely successful. 
in fact, at one point I had 62 incoming calls a day for business coming into my desk just from internal agents. And nice. so that that's what started creating the growth as well as us, you know, uh, investing and reinvesting back in the business from a business perspective. Uh, that's what it was. The the sales team, you know, like like a lot of companies, when you start, you don't have all the parts or all the pieces. So right. um, we 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 went back and did kind of what I do today. We go back and we just trained four days a week. We were like we were in the military, just, you know, get yeah. up in the morning and just train and train and train. And what happens is that you always have people at the top. And then you have people at the bottom. So, you know, people who are just blowing out quarter or consistently. Right. That's usually your 10 80, 20 rule. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. And so if you can take the bottom and bring them up 50%, it's a huge amount of revenue that comes into the company. I love and that. what happens is a huge amount of confidence that happens on the bottom end. So on a, on a personal level, the, the, you know, what, what, what's the statement? Like people get out of high school or get out of college and they don't study again, right? Right. If we want to be at the top of our game, it's it's no different than brushing our teeth, so to speak. We get mm -hmm. up, we don't think about it, but we have to we have to continuously get better. And that's what we did. We kept raising the bar on the level of the skill sets in the level of delivery. So we would have conversational sales training and, you know, we would talk about what worked and didn't work. And then we would get a process down and then everybody could use that process. And we just, that, that got force fed through that organization. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine by that point, you had some things that you implemented in that training, like specific oh, yeah. to sales. And yeah. I know one of the things that you talk about is, you know, five must have components to close a sale faster. Is that, is that some of the training you did for this company? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and you don't need all five, right. But I mean, the reality is that, you know, rapport, number one, a lot of people go, oh yeah, let's build rapport and then we'll dive right into the sale. Right. Mm -hmm. right? And what we would teach is rapport needs to be maintained throughout the whole, the whole customer relationship. Absolutely. And a lot of people forget that. So, you know, when they're selling, they'll immediately start, oh, okay, here's the discovery phase. So let's just jump in and try to solve the right. problem. But what they're doing is they're breaking rapport through the process and they don't really realize it. So, mm -hmm. you know, rapport being like trust and, and respect, right? Yeah. So, and out of the three, trust is the most important. Mm -hmm. And so we teach people how to maintain that through, through not only the sale, but then post-sale, and the higher you can build this level of trust, and I'm not talking about trust in ourselves. I'm talking about we need, we must have the buyer trust us more than they trust their own decision. Mm -hmm. And if we can do that, then the buyer implicitly, you know, just trust us without without question. And that's where we now go to additional expansion uh, of the, the sale, whether it's internal mm -hmm. expansion. Uh, you know, we're driving, you know, upsells, cross sells, you know, or even yeah. down sells into, you know, different product categories, or we're doing external expansion where we're picking up, you know, three to seven referrals per client. Yeah. Right. And that's how we as a sales entity can grow quickly versus just linear selling. Like, oh, I sold this person. I'll move on to the next one. Right. Yeah. It becomes uh, less transactional at that point and more relationship selling. Yeah, absolutely. And, and learning how to converse and finding out what are the people, what do they fear? What do they want? What do they value? What do they respect? Right. And understanding this information, like I don't see a lot of this in most sales, you know, uh, training in companies. They don't they don't get into the, the person of the personality or the person or what makes that person the buyer actually, you know, what are they looking for? Because there's two types of ROI, right? There's a business yeah. ROI which everybody tries to go for like, Oh, Hey, if we, you know, if, well, I don't know, we're selling telecommunication services, we can lower right. your bill by 20%. Right. And, yeah. and look what you can do with the extra money, but there's a personal ROI in, involved in that. Mm -hmm. And so if we're selling B to C, usually it's money is like the, the, the thing that they're most concerned about, but right. it can also be, Hey, if I make this purchase, I go buy this new boat and I bring this back home and my spouse catches me buying a new boat, dragging it in the backyard without permission, yeah. right? All heck's going to break loose in my relationship. So that's yeah. the personal ROI. And a B2B, 
that could be a career gone, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we make a decision and we don't make the right decision. We could actually lose our whole job or our whole career. And, yeah. you know, so the stakes get a little higher and a lot of people forget these human dynamics. They just go for the business. And that's what we trained on a lot throughout that process and still do today. Well, and I think that happens that that's, I wouldn't say acceptable, but that's what you expect at an entry level. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Of, of new people coming in, they're being trained on how to sell a product, feature benefit type training, you know, but 100%, you got to go past that. And in, in building that rapport, you find out those emotional motivators, which everything that you went through in terms of finding out from the customer um, was all emotionally motivated, right? Yeah. And, and if you can, you can sell that way and know, you know, and then there's the ethical piece of genuinely helping that person get to those goals that they have that are emotional goals, which if it's B2B, it may be job security. You know what I'm saying? If it's B2C, it may be, Hey, I want the boat, but I want to make sure my wife's okay with it too. And if you can help them kind of structure that conversation or bring the wife into the conversation, then you're, you're, you're cooking with gas at that point. I agree, Doug. I love that name. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great name. Great name. All right, brother. So CEO at Sales Strategy, the 1% Academy in Vibitno. Yeah, Vibitno is a, um, it's actually coming out this year. So we've okay. been working on it for a year. Uh, Vibitno is an automated, uh, personalized, and I would say relevant prospecting and follow-up software. Okay. So the whole idea was, and this spawned out of that actual gig where I was having 62 incoming calls a day, because you can imagine if you get that many incoming calls, you it's um, it's nearly, well, I'm going to say it was impossible to manage it all. Mm-hmm. So I was hiring assistants, like, please take these calls, you know, right, right. let me know. So, <clears throat> but my friend, Mike and I, we're sitting at a Panera bread way back then. Mm-hmm. And we were just, uh, I won't use the word, but complaining loudly um, <laughs> <laughs> about all the things we wish we had, like how do we take a contact and stick it into play easily. And then if we forget to follow up with the contact that a system would do it for us and remind us of these things and, you know, kind of manage our day and all the yeah. complexity, right? Because, because back then, you know, we just had DSL was just coming in. So it wasn't like the internet wasn't as prolific. Right. right? Um, and so, yeah. you know, we, we literally sometimes drive two hours to go to an appointment and, um, you know, couldn't do what we're doing right now because it, it was so expensive to try to do it back then. I mean, you'd have to spend, you know, $30,000 of video. Back right. Then. Camera set up and then high speed internet. And, right. Yeah. And then. Good luck if the client had that, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, which they they very rarely did, right? And then we would right. set up like ISDN lines. To, I mean, it was crazy back mm-hmm. then. But you know, now it's so easy. Um, but you know, I mean, what happens when you drive to what I call a secret meeting, right? You drive an hour and a half, and the, the client doesn't show up, but you do, you know. So it's a secret meeting, right? <laughs> so <laughs> how do you how do you handle all of that complexity that's going on while people are calling you and you? back and you know cell coverage is spotty and all that other stuff mm-hmm. so what i did was i do, you know and back then we tried to develop it but we couldn't as the technology wasn't even there so right. today it's like all right how do you automatically prospect in an mm-hmm. ethical meaningful personalized way and how do we then take that relationship and continue it in perpetuity even when we can't get to it and make it personalized mm-hmm. because I don't know, Doug, about you, but I, I, I know myself, sometimes it's taken me two years or so to close a pretty good size sale. Right. Right. And so how do we stay in touch with that person? You know, I mean, we, we try to do our best, but if you have 300 contacts, you're, you're juggling at one time, Mm -hmm. it's hard with everything else that's going on. And then, you know, lay in family matters and children and things that, you know, people have in their lives. So I developed a system that would do this for people uh, and do this in a way that would connect, you know, on, on the level that people want to be connected with, because, you know, I, I, I'm sure you're getting these emails where people are just hammering you with emails now yep. and, and they're irrelevant. 
<laughs> yeah. You know, I had somebody uh, send me one uh, three days ago that was like, uh, in your manufacturing facility, I'm sure you're going through X, Y, Z. Yeah, like, exactly. In your agency. No, I don't have an agency. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> one, one guy thought I was in Pennsylvania and I live in right. New Hampshire, right? So it's kind of like. It's just bad data is what right, they're Bad data. Yeah. And, it, and it's, so how do we take, you know, um, when I, I worked with a man named Chet Holmes for seven years. Oh, yeah. And um, I, I read one of his books. Yeah, the, uh, Chet was a great guy. You know, he's passed on now. Um, but he had a concept called the Dream 100, right? Where you take your your dreamy accounts, you know, the top 100. So what if we could take a Dream 200 and we could close 15% of them a year? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, how do you do that, right? So a lot the software itself was also fashioned and, and, and with those type of thoughts that, you know, a salesperson to get to the 1%, or, you know, some people don't want to be at the 1% and that's fine too. Maybe it's the, the, the 10% to get to that level, but to do it with leverage, we all need help. And that's what the software is developed for. I couldn't agree more. I mean, there's a lot that you said in there um, that I want to walk through. And, and, and the first part is, is just this idea of, you know, being, being in constant contact with your, with your prospects. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we know it's evolved since you guys were complaining loudly at the Panera Bread, it has evolved, right? Yeah, totally. So there's softwares out there like Salesforce, Go High Level, CRMs, right? But I think what you're talking about is at a very basic level, you know, the lead comes in and you don't close the lead and then they get put on a 16 contact point drip campaign, right? Yeah. But everybody gets put on that same campaign. So I guess my question is, and this is to kind of like, open this up for our listeners a little bit is like, okay, I can go out, I can get go high level, or I can get a um, white label version of it from uh, somebody that's in my niche. Right. And they understand, let's just say it's solar. They understand solar. So they build it out for solar. I pay them a couple hundred bucks a month and I run all my leads through there. Right. right? I'm guessing this is kind of the 2.0 version of that when it comes to personalization and, and, and how are you guys, doing that, I guess, without a lot of manual work. Yeah. So, um, so it is the 2.0 version or I'd say 3.0 in some capacity. Okay. It's <clears throat> so let's say, um, you're speaking with somebody and this happens a lot. You, people go to networking events, they pick up cards. Uh, mm -hmm. they, they say, Oh yeah, we'll get back in touch with one another. And I've measured this over a couple of years. So I can tell you concretely, it's about 13% of the people actually communicate with one another. I love that stat. Right. It is. It's a convicting stat. You know, we, we, we go to these things and we think, oh, I did so much work today. But yeah. if, we, if we knew in our heads that 13% would actually end in another conversation, yeah. then we'd feel like, wow, if I don't capitalize on this, then I didn't do anything. I didn't do much of anything today. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and that's what happens and it's still consistent when i go to events and we collect cards i mm -hmm. i still measure it it comes in between 13 and 13.7 percent. that's that's okay. kind of what the average is and <clears throat> so let's say that i go to an event i meet somebody named doug mitchell and doug has you know two children we'll say i don't know give me some names doug. <laughs> oh three three kids cameron madeline and logan all right so cameron madeline and logan and how may i ask their ages 9 11 and 12 madeline's the oldest at 12 and cameron's in the middle at 11. okay and logan's uh, nine now i know why you're losing your hair <laughs> <laughs> More so right. now than ever. <laughs> and, and, and give me one child's interest, for example. Uh, my my middle son, he's in he's in drama. Drama. And so he loves to act. Acting. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's say we meet and uh, the system's smart enough to understand when I put the fields in the system and it, 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 it generates a, 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 just a, a message to you, whether it's a text or an email or whatever we, we deem as the primary communication mode you like, right? Okay. And it comes out and it goes, hey, Doug, it's Doug. I appreciate me meeting at the XYZ event. Um, I was thinking about your, you know, your, your, your oldest daughter, Madeline. 
I was thinking about your, your middle son, Cameron, mm -hmm. and uh, Logan, who I believe you said was age nine. Uh, and I was reading this magazine on acting and Cameron's name came to my mind. I'd love to catch up with you next week. Uh, do we have any option for that? I'm including my scheduling link for convenience. Um, if you want to send me yours, please do. I'll, I'll use it. Right. And that, that's mm -hmm. the message. Right? right. But you didn't type any of it. So what are you guys using? To, is this like an AI tool? Uh, no, it started out as actually uh, because this was pre-AI when we started this okay. concept. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I got this concept, quite frankly, from Harvey McKay. Okay. So I don't know if Harvey McKay wrote a book called Swim with the Sharks. That was his big one. Okay. So Harvey owned a $100 million envelope company. Um, you know, something to do with envelopes. Mm -hmm. And... I was, a, I was selling back uh, at the time and I sold these really huge deals and this company had this thank you, come to the Biltmore Hotel in Arizona and we're going to wine and dine you for three days. And I was like, heck, I might as well go, right? So I go to this thing. I didn't even know what it was. They were like, we're giving away a Mercedes. And I'm like, all right, well, maybe I'll get a Mercedes. Um, and so I go to this thing and the two guest speakers, there's 150 people in the room. The two guest speakers are Mr. Tony Robbins. Oh, wow. <laughs> and Mr. Harvey McKay. Wow. <laughs> right. So I always wanted to meet Tony because he was an influence in my life. Yeah. And I was like, this is so cool. I actually ended up meeting him at a totally different story at the event, but mm -hmm. he did his shtick. Tony did. And then he went off stage and he had two or three big, you know, men with him and i'm like there's no way i'm getting near tony they break me into twigs right and so tony goes off and i'm like darn i missed my thing and then harvey comes on and he starts speaking and i'm like man this guy's smart so after he's done i walked up to him and i said mr mckay i found uh, these points of your talk very inspirational um mm -hmm. i had a couple of questions for you do you mind me if if i ask a couple of questions and he said well son because he was much older than i was right. uh, he goes i'll tell you what carry my bags to my limo and i'll tell you anything you want to know and so uh, i yeah. did <laughs> i, I would have carried him to the limo for this information <laughs> <laughs> so i carried his bags and we got talking and i asked him i said you know what is the you know you've sold some pretty big stuff you know, he sold a $10 million account, for example, annual recurring. Mm -hmm. And I, I said, what's the secret? And he said to me, personalization and really getting to know your people. And I said, well, tell me more. And he said, and he, he explained to me, he said, look, I have this list. I call it the McKay 66. I have 66 separate fields that I gather information on people. It's all personal information and business information. And he said, you know what? I'll have my assistant send it to you. Wow. Here's the name, right? And so I walked him back. I, uh, I shook his hand. I said, thank you. He said, uh, I, I, I said, how'd you close the $10 million account? He goes like this. He said, I had a client that I have been trying to get into for three years. And I have been tracking all these data points that I was talking about. His son was an avid hockey fan for the NHL. They lived mm -hmm. in Minnesota. So he said the son got into an accident. I think he told me oh. and ended up into the hospital. So I went to the Minnesota team. I think they're called the wild today, or I think they were the North stars back then. Mm -hmm. I went to the Minnesota team and I had some contacts within there and I got three of the NHL players to go see this kid. Oh my and gosh. we took pictures with him in his, ho in his hotel room. And then the kid told the father and I sent the pictures to the father and that's how I got a $10 million account. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. That's See, if we, awesome. If, if we can connect Doug on a human level, mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about it, we do crazy things for our significant others when we're trying to date them, right? I mean, we do everything. I mean, especially as guys, we do, you know, we, mm -hmm. we write poems, we write, you know, we do all kinds of things that, you know, other guys go, what are you doing? Um, but the reality is when we can show we care enough about somebody's challenge or problem or help them get with an opportunity and we can connect as human beings, it goes a lot more down the line than, hey, I've got this X, Y, Z thing that will fix your, your issue. And you've got 10 other people saying the same thing.
But the problem is we only have so much capacity to do that, Correct. right? Correct. And so that's why y'all developed this software of Correct. personalized follow-up. That's exciting. Uh, I'm very interested in that. I'm going to check it out after the podcast for sure and uh, see how it all kind of works together. Well, so well the, 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 the MVP is supposed to roll out within the next 60 days if I can oh, okay. get a couple of uh, things. So I can give okay. you access and you can start to check it out. Yeah, and we've got all the links and everything. We're going to put them in the show notes as well. So if you're interested in that software, definitely check out those links. And then we'll continue to share that as it comes out, of course. Thank you. All right, brother. So uh, one of the subjects that you like to talk about, and I'm, I'm very curious about this one, because I feel like a lot of growth happens with tactical things and, you know, tools, right? right? And honestly, you know, especially early on in my show, that's what I talked about a lot. But what happens is the conversation always turns to, okay, the, the tools got me a 10%, 20% bump. The using these tactics got me another 20 to 30%. But what doubled and tripled my volume, my gross revenue, my business or my sales, whatever the case was, was my mindset, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one of the things you'd like to talk about is how your inner voice can massively help or sabotage you in selling your products or services. Can you kind of expand on that? Yeah, I, I can. This one I can guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> I'll explain it through something I used to do in my life. And then I think people start to go that. Is this guy crazy or is he smart, right? One okay. or the other. <clears throat> so for about nine years, I would take my income up. And as soon as I got a little over $200,000 a year, I would back it down to about 90. I always under 100, right? Somewhere around there. Yeah. And I never really realized I was doing this, but I was just doing it. And then my first child was born. Her name is Rebecca. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Rebecca came along and I was taking a walk at night and I was like, I got to make more money. Now I have a child, right? I mean, it's like <laughs> my brain was going in that mode. Like I got to take care of her, right? So I'm like, well, I've already made over a couple hundred thousand dollars. Let me go try to make three or $400,000 at this point in my life. Right. And so I'm like, oh, but if Cause, cause that's really what children's. That's what children cost, $100,000 per kid? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess it's 150 now to raise them that, you know, per child on average. So <laughs> um, back then it was easier because it was less and inflation wasn't yeah. as bad. But, right. um, but it was still, you know, still a fair amount. But I mean, as you know, you, you and I both know, I mean, having a child, it just, your value system starts shifting and you yeah. think differently. It's just a very strange and wonderful thing um, all at the same time. And so I was taking a walk and it was like the sun was coming down and I was like thinking, why? My God, I've been backing my income down, bring it up, backing down, bring it up. What happened? And all of a sudden I realized I was like, oh my gosh, I have an, uh, an older brother. His name is David. Super smart guy. Uh, he's nine years older than I am. And I remember growing up that my parents used to talk about him as a no good yuppie, you know, that was the derogatory term back there, right? Yeah. Because he was a white collar worker and I came from a blue collar background. Gotcha. Yeah. Right? And David's, you know, making a quarter million dollars a year or so at that point. And, and they just talked terrible. It was awful. And I remember feeling that pain when I was little. And, mm -hmm. um, and so now I come up and I'm that white collar yuppie scum. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I didn't think about it. I just, so anytime my income went up, I'd back it down. Why? Mm -hmm. When my income went up, I started be hearing those comments about myself and I wanted my parents' approval and love. Uh, yeah. And so I'd back it down. Everything would be fine. Yeah. But then I, then I faced the dilemma. My child's going to win or my parents are going to win. Well, guess mm -hmm. who won? You're my child, right? So, and so this is how our mind can stop us or help us moving forward. So I had to make a decision. Was it Rebecca or my parents? And Rebecca definitely won. Um, and she would win every single time. But what I didn't know was why it was always happening. So I went on a real quest and a study to figure out how these things happen. Because then I started noticing other people. Like I would notice people having call reluctance, you know, and, yeah. and picking up the phone. And I would talk to them and I'd say, well, what's going on? And they'd be like, I feel terrible. I'm interrupting people. I'd be like, mm -hmm. it's a cold call. Of course you're going to interrupt people. And they yeah. go, I, I just don't feel right. So I get talking to them and I find out they grew up in an environment where their parents taught them, if you interrupt people, you're the rudest piece of junk on the earth. Right. 
And now you're in a situation where you got to interrupt people in order to make a living, right? Yeah. So here's what I've discovered. We develop these protection mechanisms to serve a template of love that we are taught growing up. So mom, dad, preacher, teacher, brother, sister, yeah. Yeah. peer group, whoever, right? And what we do is we, we, we even if we internally, when we're younger, we, we don't, we don't say no, we comply, but then we keep complying to that. And we're now reinforcing behavior and it becomes habitual. Mm -hmm. And that's when we're in trouble. Because once it becomes habitual, we stop thinking about it. We just keep doing it. Yeah. Now, that same behavior might have served us in that relationship to get through that relationship. But now we go into a new environment like cold calling and it no longer serves us. But yeah. we're still we still, you know, as children want to be accepted by the, their, their parents. Right. Mm -hmm. So we carry these things along. And so what I did was I figured out, okay, how do we undo those things? Like, you know, in fact, I mean, Tony Robbins was the first foray into, into it for me. Um, but it's really about creating awareness. Um, and once you get the awareness, understanding what the trigger levels are, interrupting the trigger levels, reframing them with new behaviors and patterns, and then taking the pathway we want to go versus the automatic pathway that we weren't. I mean, that's kind of the synopsis of it. Um, but, but that can stop people cold. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure you've seen it over your career where you're just like, why did they make this decision? But when you trace it back, it usually goes back to childhood wounds or childhood trauma, or even if they were taught a certain way, like I had a friend, she was beautiful. I mean, she was a model mm -hmm. and, and she would never let anybody see her without makeup. And I, I was completely blown away. Cause I'm like, you don't need makeup. Like, yeah. It's like, trust me, you don't need me. I walk down the street with you and there's 50 guys looking at you left and yeah. right and whether you have makeup on or not. And, but she would never let anybody see her without makeup. And she, one time I saw her without makeup, she goes, you're the only man in my, in my life that has seen me without my makeup. And I said, what about your husband? She goes, he hasn't seen me without my makeup. Wow. <laughs> so if we have a scenario where a parent is saying to the child, listen, you know, you look amazing but you should adjust your hair this way because you look better. Yeah. And like little things, just little picking things. The child can also develop the same thing. Like, okay, I'm not good enough. I'm not accepted. And so it turns out to be something like that. Right. Um, so it, it carries on both sides. So yeah, our brains can actually take us stardom or it can just slap us on the floor. And in selling, we have to not only learn the skill sets, but we must embrace that side of our life in order to release those skill sets to work. Cause it's like having the greatest tool, but if you never turn it on because you're afraid the tool's going to, I don't know, bite you or cut you or whatever, mm -hmm. that that's how it plays out. Is that answering part of the question, Doug? No, I think it's answering all the question and it's a massive, massive point that I feel like you're driving, you're listening at home, you're driving, pull over. If you're listening at home, you need to you need to take the time to figure out what that cycle is for you that you keep running over and over again. For me personally, it was I needed a fight in order to be productive. Yeah, I needed a fight, right? Because when I was younger, I had the mommy issues and the daddy issues. Didn't want me around. Moved in with my aunt, so I had the whole orphan syndrome. Yeah, you know what I'm saying that I wasn't good enough, so I had to go out. When I did go out into the I couldn't wait to get out of the house and prove I could make it on my own. I could be somebody. I could do something great with my life. And then I went out and did it and I got bored. And then of course the company revenue went back down. My income went back down. And then it was like, Oh, Hey, I can't pay my bills. There's a fight. All right. I'm going to fight. You know what I mean? New product, something create some kind of chaos. So I had something to defeat. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I did that for about 10 years from 18 to 28. Yeah. And I realized Hey, I should probably stop doing this. This is like getting old. You know, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not growing, but you don't really become self. I mean, let's be honest, unless, I mean, there's a lot more information out in the world today. So I feel like young people become self-aware a lot younger to a detriment. Sometimes, sometimes they just need to go out and do the work, you know, sure. but uh, I feel like it happens a lot younger, but you know, for me, you know, I'm 37 now 
we didn't have a lot of the information that's out there on TikTok and Instagram and, you know, YouTube. And so it was like, I, I did that cycle for 10, 10 good years. And then I became self-aware and was like, Hey, I'm doing this to myself. This is not external, you know, and then you finally leave that, that victim mentality and take extreme ownership. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, I've got to develop myself out of this, you know? And, uh, on a micro scale, it happens all the time in sales. And then on a macro scale, it happens over the course of a career or a decade, you know? Right. And so and I think it's a, it's, it's an amazing conversation for sure. Yeah. And, and the, the crazy part is people think, well, I got a business problem and it's not really a business problem. I've, I've rarely seen business problems be business problems. They're usually, you know, personal problem. It's kind of like, you know, I don't know, a, a guy who's an attorney, right. And he's, great in the courtroom with with uh, you know arguing and getting and winning cases and everything else and interrogating mm -hmm. witnesses and then he comes home and he does it to his children and his wife yeah right <laughs> and all of a sudden he ends up in a really bad relationship and he's like a really good guy yeah. but the thing is is he, he where did he learn it mm -hmm. back in childhood like you said you know you were in a situation, good's never good enough, so to speak. Yeah. So you're going to constantly try to prove that. Well, that fight will work great in certain situations because I went mm -hmm. through similar things, right? Like in the military, it served me perfectly oh, yeah. well in the military. Yeah. I mean, it was awesome. Um, but then when you go into a boardroom where, you know, you're sitting with billionaires and you're like, bam, right at them or whatever, they don't they don't put up with it. They don't no. need to, right? So it's it's one of those things that, that self-awareness and I congratulate you um, on that because that self-awareness is the first step because a lot of times people just don't realize it's happening. Well, and that's, that's why the 1% is the 1%. Right. Because 95% of people don't even realize that the other 4% do realize it. Maybe they're entre entrepreneurs, you know what I'm saying? And then the 1% is the entrepreneur or the high level uh, key, key person at a, you know, $2 billion exit. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. <laughs> so, no, uh, I love the conversation that we, we've, we've had today, Doug. Um, again, great name, great guy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, and, and you do, you've got a lot going on. What are you most excited about right now that you have coming out in the coming months? Uh, Business-wise or personal? Business-wise. Oh, Business-wise? Yeah. You know, most of my life, I, 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 I use money as a metric, right? As a, mm -hmm. like, okay, if I'm here, I'm successful. And then as I get older, I realize I can't take it with me. Right. right? It's like, I can't, um, it, it's a very weird thing. Like, you know, the, the moment I, I'm 61 right now. And when I turned 60, yeah, I would have said started, 41. That's crazy. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. My, I have a great wife who keeps me in shape. Um, nice. <laughs> so, um, and I also think, you know, as we were talking about with the inner, inner voice of the inner guidance system, that part keeps you young as well. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I, what I've kind of shifted my life to is how do I serve more people? How do I help people now far more? Because I don't need the money. You know I mean? I mean, I always need the money. Everybody needs money, but it's, it's not like I'm struggling or know that I will ever struggle. I will never starve. I know that. Right. So that, hierarchy of needs thing in Maslow or whatever mm -hmm. I'm at a certain level and now what's most exciting for me is I can help other people earn whatever they want really you know mm -hmm. I mean some people want to are happy at $150,000 a year some people want 1. you know 9 million a year or some people want 50 million but I have a pathway that I can teach that's replicatable and that's what I'm most excited about you know so with the with the academy itself and putting the technology and everything together, um, that's what it really jazzes me up about the business side. Yeah, I do love the company, the companies that you have because you've got a high level strategy company. You know, you've got the academy, which is I, what I would assume is sales training and uh, the the execution piece, and then you've got the software to mm -hmm. do the follow up and the personalized follow up. So it sounds like you got a three tiered attack there that's going to work for most companies. Yeah. And, in, in, in individuals as well within companies. And mm -hmm. I did a couple of beta runs on what we're doing and that it was off the chart. Some of the results, I was shocked, Doug. I mean, I had one guy who's doing 140,000 in commissions. He went to 2.1 million in commissions this first mm -hmm. year. 
Yeah, I was looking at your site. I saw the case study on that. It's crazy. That's, that's awesome. But it, it, it's, it's what we preach every day on this show, which is the systematic training and mm-hmm. the results you get from that, especially when your, your subject actually applies it versus just doing about 10% of it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the, the reality is if we go to the gym every day and work out, we're going to be much more fit than if we go once a week or twice mm-hmm. a week or once every other week, you know, I don't even know why people go to the gym once every other week. I mean, it doesn't even make sense to me, but, but it, it, and if you have a guy like yourself, who's been there, done it mentoring, then all of a sudden we're getting compounding growth, just like yeah. we get compounding interest. Right. And so mm-hmm. if we do that over a period of time, you know, people ask me all the time, well, how, I don't know anything. How long would it take me to be a, a top 1% earner? I said, it depends on you, but my experience has been about two years. You know, are you willing to go through two years of, of the curve to, you know, earn a multi six figure or seven figure net income? Mm-hmm. You know, if you are, you can learn it. And and so, you know, but most people won't go to the gym for two years. You know what I mean? So Very that's, true. that's part of the challenge, which goes back to the inner voice. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely, brother. Okay. Last question. Yes, sir. Um, and this, this goes on the, typically happens on the personal side and bleeds over into the business. Sure. So um, what does legacy mean to you and what legacy do you want to leave behind? Two part question. Ooh, that's a, that's a big one. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I used to believe a lot more in legacy and then I, um, William Shatner wrote a book and he talked about legacy Mm -hmm. and he said, legacy doesn't exist. And it really made me think, I'm like, well, what do you mean legacy doesn't exist? We have Andrew Carnegie Hall. We have this, you know, all this stuff, right? So I'm not sure he's 100% right. But what he did say made a lot of sense to me. He said, the good deeds you do, those persist through generations. Mm -hmm. And so when I hear legacy, I think about, okay, what can I do today that will affect four or five generations from now? Because, you know, 150 years from now, I doubt anybody, but maybe even my family or somebody who found me on, you know, ancestry DNA would even know my name. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) So, but what will persist is the good deeds of what we've done. And so that to me is legacy. So how can you perpetuate something of greatness to go through lineage, you know, through time, and to me, that that that's legacy. And it's really important to me at, at, at this. It's always been important to me, but now it's even more important to me. Because when you start to get 60-ish, you know, you start to see the horizon of life. And you start to come to grips with, okay, uh, you know, maybe I got 40 years left, right? Hopefully. And so how do I want to live, you know, going forward in that period of time? Not versus, you know, how many giants do I slay? You know, right. um, and the, and the, so my legacy is to teach people how to be self-sufficient mm-hmm. and earn at least a multi six figure income through, you know, leverage of, of selling and understanding how to be uh, a 1% earner, but how to think and act like a 1% earner. So then in turn, they can teach that leverage to their children because quite frankly, kids coming up today. I mean, I think yeah. they have it pretty tough, you know what I mean? But if they knew how to leverage uh, and, and, and sell like you do, or I do Doug. then, uh, they'll never, ever, ever be without this. The world's just always going to need them. I couldn't agree more, Doug. Great name, by the way. Great name. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I mean, it, 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 there's a legacy with your name on it, you know, and you're hundred percent right. Unless, you know, somebody erects a building in your name. Right. And even then that building will crumble someday in the scope of the universe. It's a blimp. Right. Uh, and then there's the legacy of impact, you know, which is what you're talking about, which well, may not always have your name attached to it, but it will right. create those ripples. Yeah. And, and, and we would, we were in uh, Hollywood area and my daughters and I were walking, my wife, my daughters and I were walking around. There's a Hollywood cemetery that has Marilyn Monroe in it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and weirdly enough, Hugh Hefner is buried right next to her because um, he wanted to be, I guess. But we're walking around and I'm saying to my daughters, I'm like, do you, do you know who this actor is? And they're like, I have no clue. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know who Jimmy Stewart is. 
<laughs> and and it, and it it really kind of hit me. It's like, well, that wasn't that far, you know. Who's Kirk right. Douglas? You know, uh-huh. I, I don't know. That's Michael Douglas's father. Michael yeah. Douglas didn't he play in one of those old movies? Right. <laughs> so You're I don't lucky think... if they know that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, they're in their twenties now, so yeah. It's, oh, I mean, okay. But they they but the the thing is is that that reinforces what I thought Shatner said was, you know, people are going to forget about who we are, but they won't mm-hmm. forget about the good deeds that we do because they transcend through time. You know, there's, I mean, I don't know who invented the, uh, the, the artificial heart. Right. You know what I mean? I don't know. I, I think, I think it was uh, a, a black surgeon, if I remember correctly. And yeah. I can't remember his name, right. Yeah. For the life of me. Um, I'm so grateful to the man because, you know, there are friends that I know that have what he invented. Right. Um, And so his good deed passes down through time, but his legacy, I can't remember his name. And I, you know, it's sad that I don't, Mm -hmm. Uh, I will look it up after our our conversation here just to remind myself, but, you know, to pay honor to the man. But the reality is that there's a lot of stuff that we take for granted that we don't know who did it. Mm -hmm but it persists through time, right? And and maybe some of the big ones like electricity, we remember a couple of those people or the telephone, you know, we What's remember those cool? people, but, yeah. but, but for the most part, we forget about all the other, uh, you know, who, who invented, you know, ABS breaking. I don't think if we pulled up 10,000 people, maybe two would get it possibly, right. maybe, you know, who's the king of whatever country right now we could pick, you know? Uh, who's the president of whatever country mm-hmm. we don't remember those things and um so I, I that that's that would be you know what i think life really is about is how to extend those good deeds through and live into who we truly are and not worry about the rest of this stuff because the reality is you got to grow old and 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 you, you got to face it one way or another so you might as well just challenge it head on and get it over with that's what i think Absolutely. I, I I knew I liked you, Doug. I knew I liked you. <laughs> not, not just because I, of my name? <laughs> not just because of your name. No. I appreciate you coming on the show, brother. You've given us a, a, a ton to think about. Like I said, write it down. What is that cycle that you're continuing, that your inner voice is, is allowing you to continue, that you need to break? And then uh, personalized follow-up, I think, were two of the, the, the major things that you brought to the conversation. So thank you for that. And, oh, you're uh, welcome. Thank you. you you guys want to get in contact with Doug, every, all the links and everything will be in the show notes. And I'm sure you can find them on LinkedIn and social media and all that good stuff as well. Doug C. Brown, guys. Yep. That is me. If you type Doug Brown, you'll get a professional hockey player and I can't skate to save my soul. So. <laughs> all right, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks Doug for having me. I'm really grateful. All right. Let's get building. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Building Great Sales Teams podcast. We really do appreciate it. As you know, we believe that great leaders build great teams. How do you become a great leader? You learn from the greats. Join us at the Million Dollar Mastermind put on by Ryan Stuman in Frisco, Texas, and learn everything that you need to learn to be that great leader. The link will be in the description below. As always, we ask that you like, share, and subscribe wherever you consume podcasts so you can stay up to date with the Building Great Sales Teams podcast. Let's get building.